0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at twelve eleven First Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Inviting me to St. Pete and then putting me to work. Uh, So like Justin said, my name is Tommy Park. I'm the RUF Campus Minister at the University of North Florida. Uh, I've been there for a decade, uh, ministering to college students, um, teaching them and showing them about Jesus uh, being part of their lives when they are deciding who they're going to marry, what major, what job they're going to have, and so forth. And so it's been a great honor for me to be able to serve um, young adults uh, in that way. Uh, A little more about me, I have three children, uh, Tilly, Asher, and Izzy, uh, and I have one wife uh, named Nikki. And so... And so, like Justin has mentioned, we have kind of officially made that turn of the year. Uh, We've made it through Thanksgiving, we've made it through Black Friday, uh, we have made it, uh, and we're heading towards Christmas, Uh, and many of us are excited. Uh, Many of us are excited about uh, what Christmas brings and what that means, and and some of us may not be that excited. Uh, Some of us might feel like uh, that American classic uh, that probably all of us know. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, our good old friend Clark, uh, as he he's so excited about Christmas, and he is dragging that box out of his garage and to de- decorate his whole house. Um, and as he even gets started, uh, he pulls out this giant strand of lights in his giant knot. Um, and for some of us, that's how we feel. Uh, we 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 hit Thanksgiving, and the and the seasons have turned. Uh, However, um, there's a knot in our soul. Uh, There's a knot in our heart, um, and we're not sure what to do with it. Uh, Maybe that that knot has, has come because of things we have done throughout the whole year, and maybe that knot is there of the things that have actually been done to us. And what I believe is that Advent is God's way of untying that knot in our soul. To remind us of this one name, Jesus, who comes, the one who made all things, the one who's holding all things together, and the one who will come back to make all things right. And that's the one who comes down and enters in with us, to be with us and for us, to untie those knots. Um, and so I want to give you a quote uh, about the season of Advent. Um, one author puts it this way. He says, Advent is a time when we ask God, when we ask, we even plead with God not to leave us alone. For when God leaves us to our own choices and turns turns us over to our own ways, we are certain to drift from him. Our indifference to God is soon turned into spiritual boredom, a boredom that leads to spiritual dullness and to ultimately death of spiritual realities. Advent is a time to cry, O God, turn me away from my indifference and create in me a heart of repentance and lead me to the waters of spiritual refreshment. See, Advent is that time when God breaks in on us with new surprises and touches us with a renewing and restoring power. And so this morning, I want us to invite us and invite God. What would it take to invite this God to enter into our lives, to renew us, to refresh us? And so we're going to look at a passage in Colossians 1 to remind us of the greatness of Jesus, to remind us of this one who has entered into our lives to renew us, to refresh us, and to make us whole. Uh, so if you would um, stand as we read God's Word, uh, I will be reading Colossians chapter 1, uh, 9 through 23, uh, and this is God's Word. And so from the day that we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding The forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, of the church. He is the first. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead and that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which you have been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who enters in, a God who creates, uh, a God who, who is desiring for all things to be made right. And that you are a God who is truly with us and for us. And as we come this morning and for as we have already repented, as we have already confessed, as we have already been reminded of your holiness, uh, our, whole, our, our souls, our hearts ache because of what's not, what's not right with us, what's not right with the city of St. Pete, what's not right with the state and even the world. We long for you to come uh, to make all things right. As we come and turn our attention to this passage, may we be reminded of your greatness. So we would be excited to invite you in to the very broken things of our world and our life uh, to make us holy. And we just pray you great and wonderful name. Amen. Uh, you can be seated. So this morning in our passage, uh, Paul... He's uh, going to try to get the cautions. Uh, Paul is, again, a, a pastor in the first century. He's writing a young church, and he is going to get this young church to, to see the greatness in the all of Jesus and to rest at Him and rest in His sufficiency. And so this morning, as we do the same, we're going to let Paul remind us of that greatness and wonder of Jesus. And so what Paul's going to do, he's going to pray the gospel, he's going to sing the gospel, and then he's going to remind the Colossians of this gospel story. And so first, we're going to look at this prayer that Paul prays to remind this young church and even us about the good news of Jesus. So again, listen to verses 9 through 14. Uh, And Paul says, And so, from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And again, look at and focus on the verse 9. He says, We have not ceased to pray for you asking that you might be filled with the very knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And here Paul uses three words of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. He is trying to remind them um, of the very knowledge and wisdom that there is in the Lord. And the reason that he's doing this, again, back in Paul's day, uh, back into the first century, Paul, uh, there was these other teachers that kind of creeped into this young church and basically saying, you know, you probably have gotten bored with Jesus by now. And what you need is Jesus plus this. Jesus plus this cool author that's now on the scene or this new Instagram post or this new well Paul wasn't talking like that Uh, but you get the point that Paul was warning this young church what you need to continue and and stay focused on is the very person of Jesus so I'm going to pray that you will grow in his his knowledge, his wisdom and his understanding that he wants us to grow in the very knowledge of God alone he wants us to, to know what pleases him pleases God, what what He loves and what He adores and what He desires. And, and the point is this. What Paul is trying to get us to consider is this. If we know Jesus Christ, we know God. We don't need anything else, any other techniques or experiences or therapies. In Christ you have everything. See, the one thing that gets us excited about Jesus is Jesus Himself. He is the one who gets us excited. He is and, and we never grow past this. We're always growing in the very goodness of Jesus. Um, in college, um, so I'm from Jacksonville. Lived there until my college days. Uh, and then moved to the great city of Newport, Ritchie. Not many people would say that. Um, but it's a great city. Um, but during the, my days there, I went to a small little Christian college. Worked at a small little Presbyterian church in And a book radically changed my life was called The Disciplines of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And in there, what Jerry reminded me is that uh, even though I was going to this Christian college and even though I was doing this and that, um, and I was in this Christian bubble in a sense. um, I thought that kind of this, uh, the gospel was just basically the ABCs of Christianity uh, that I was kind of growing in all this other stuff and this other knowledge. And what Jerry reminded me is that the gospel is actually the A through Z of Christianity. That I need to be preaching it to myself over and over again. Uh, back then I was worried about these middle schoolers and these high schoolers, uh, for them to get to know the gospel. And I wasn't preaching it to my own soul, to my own heart. And what Paul is doing here is something very similar. That we need to preach the gospel to our own hearts and to our own souls and to our own lives each day, every day. And what we see here, that this prayer here is that Paul is praying, is not just a prayer of knowledge or wisdom, but it's also a prayer of action. Again, listen to verses 9 and 10. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God. And see, what happens here, he's praying for a knowledge that actually produces action, a life worthy of the calling. Uh, it's not a, a knowledge that keeps you still, but a knowledge that keeps you moving. Uh, verse 10, again, uh, throughout this whole, verse 10, 11, and 12, you see this ongoing progressive language uh, as you to walk. Uh, verse 10, that you would be bearing fruit. Verse 10, again, that you would be increasing. Verse 11, that you would... Be strengthened with all power, with all endurance, and with patience. And then, verse twelve, that you would be giving things. And the reality is, this is what Jesus, what Paul is reminding us that knowing Jesus, being in relation with Him, is not this one-time reality. And what Advent does is to remind us that we have a God, we have a Jesus who has truly entered into our lives, that He has become Emmanuel, God with us, and that we are reminded again, particularly in a real sense, every week, but particularly in the season of Advent, that we get to invite Jesus into the very heartbreaks of our lives, to enter in. And so Paul here, as he's praying this um, prayer, he, and then he, he breaks up, what, ha, what happens, he actually breaks into doxology, into worship. Um, and so the second thing we see Paul does is that he, he prays the gospel, and then he sings the gospel. Uh, verses 15 through 20 is, is one of the oldest hymns, the oldest songs um, of the church. Um, and this this hymn describes this this God, Jesus, being the one who is with us and for us, the one who has truly entered in into uh, our lives. Um, so listen to verses 15 through 20 again. As Paul worships, as he sings... Uh, over this church and over us this morning. Verse 15, uh, He is the image, again Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And he's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of the cross. See what we learn here, and what we can rest in, is that this Jesus, the one that we just worship, and the one who, who has entered into the to our very world is the one who is supreme, that he's preeminent. And so that we can, with confidence, invite him into our lives to take the very knot out of our souls, out of our hearts. So here, what Paul does, again, verse 15, we we see that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that Jesus himself is the ultimate picture of this God who who cannot be seen. Uh, Verses 15, again, he is the Firstborn of all creation, and, and again, Paul's not talking about uh, physical terms of Jesus coming to existence, but he's talking of basically Old Testament language of, of Jesus being the ultimate person of rank, that he is the firstborn. Um, he has all the rights and privileges of being that first one. Verse sixteen: By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. See here, we're reminded that Jesus, the One who made all things, is the same One who enters into our world. He was before all things. He created all things. Verse 17, again, He's before all things, stressing the reality that Jesus always existed. Verse 17, and in Him all. And in him all things hold together. We see that Jesus is the one who sustains all things, that he's holding everything together. He's holding our good days and even our bad days. In verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. See, here we see that Christ is the head of the church. He is our leader. He is the one who leads us, protects us, preserves for us, fights for us, nourishes us. Verse 18, that he is the firstborn from the dead, that Jesus' resurrection marked the very beginning of a new creation. Since Jesus has risen, and if we trusted him, we will rise as well. Verse 19, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. See, Jesus not only bears God's glory, he is God's glory. All of God dwells in him and with him. He's not just a piece of God, he is 100% God. Verse 20, and through him to reconcile himself all things. See, God became man that took on flesh and blood to enter into creation in order to reconcile with his creation. Christ comes to reconcile all things to himself, to put everything back. Everything that was undone there that we see in Genesis 3, Jesus comes to restore all things. He is the second Adam, the one to make all things right. And so here, what Paul is doing here in this hymn is that he's reminding us of this Jesus, the one who has made all things, the one who's holding all things together. Again, our bad days and our good days, he's the one who's holding it. And the one who is going to come to make all things right. The one who will wipe away every tear from our eye. And this is the God who is with us. And this is the God who is for us. And so we see here that this Jesus, the one who's supreme, We can rest in Him. We can trust Him. The reality is that when the world is going crazy, we can rest on the fact that Jesus is holding all things together. We can rest because, again, He's the one who made all things. He's the one who's holding all things together. And He's the one who's going to come to make all things right. And we, we also see that the purpose of all these things that, that Paul is singing about us is, is to remind us that Jesus is preeminent. He is the one we should worship. Verse 18, that he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Again, the, the point of this passage, even the point of this morning is this, is to be reminded that our Jesus is one who should supreme. He and he only is the one that we should worship. And the question for me and the question for you is this. Is Jesus preeminent in our lives? Is he supreme? Uh, one way for us to see if he is preeminent, one way for us to see that he's truly supreme, uh, is to consider what are the things that we do worship? What are the things that we hold dear? You know, what, Who or what do we worship? And I think for some of us, we ask that question and, and we can't naturally lean towards Jesus, particularly if we're Christians. Um, but let me read you two definitions that kind of help me grab a hold of this in my own heart. Um, one author, Robbie Kasserman in um, the book Parenting in the Pew, des- describes worship this way. Worship is not a refueling to get through, get us through another week. Worship is not a system of traditions built over many years of Congregational life until everyone feels comfortable. Worship is not a time to unwind, relax, tune out, to take a mental vacation. Worship is not an hour of Christian entertainment. It's not what makes us good people, faithful Christians. Worship is the surrendering our souls to God, who is jealous for our attention, time, and love. So the question for me and the question for you is this: What are the things that we give our attention? time and love to and what Paul is reminding us here in this old old hymn is that our attention, our time and our love should be toward, turned towards Jesus the one who's preeminent um, my wife's pastor growing up, a guy named Oliver Clausen wrote worship distru- describes worship this way worship is declaring with our lips and our that God is more important than anything else to us That He's our deepest desire and inerrant worth is beyond everything else we hold dear. So again, to help us kind of put us on the map of what or who we worship, let me ask you that question. Let me ask myself that question. Who or what do I hold dear? is, Is it my job? Is it my family? Is it my house? Is it my career? Is it maybe by career that might be one day? Or is it Jesus? This one who Paul reminds us is the one who's supreme over all things, uh, who's preeminent. And so here Paul in this passage is, is praying the gospel over this young church, singing the gospel, and then what he does is that he reminds the Colossians of the gospel story. All through this passage, Paul is reminding them of what the gospel is and what the story of the gospel is doing in and through them. And the reality for us is that we all are attracted and drawn into stories. Again, as a wee lad, when I was growing up, uh, one movie, one of my favorite movies was The Karate Kid. Uh, not Will Smith, not that one, but the original one uh, with the original Mr. Miyagi. Uh, I still remember watching that movie as a, a wee Middle schooler uh, who never took in karate lessons. Still today, um, I just remember watching that movie and getting and entering into that story in such a way that I would, I could, you know, watch in my living room, got up, walk out the door, and I feel like I can kick anybody's butt. Uh, I could win a karate tournament. Um, and, th- and we all have stories that we enter in, and it makes us bigger and better than what, than we can ever dream. And what here, what Jesus is doing is is giving us the true story. The true story that that we are broken beyond a match, But our God, the one who is before all things, and the one who's making all things right, and the one who's sustaining all things, actually enters into our world and enters and invites us into this grand story that He is the main character and He brings us. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. Um, what story are you resting in? Is it your story or his story? Are you wrapped up of your family story or Jesus' family story? What story are you resting in? And again, the we're all caught up in a someone's story. And what Paul is doing here and encouraging us is to be caught up in the very story of Jesus. And again, just listen to the story that Paul gives us. What. What Jesus has been doing, is doing, and will do. And ask this question to yourself. Are you resting in this story? Verse 12, Paul writes, To the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. See, the good news of the story is that Jesus is the one who has qualified you to be part of this kingdom and nothing else. Again, think about that. The creator of the world has qualified you. I know when I talk to my own children and I let um, one of my children do something special, they, they feel special because Dad's allowing them to do it. How much more as we consider that the Creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who has made all things visible and invisible, has qualified us to enter into this kingdom of His beloved Son Verses 13 and 14, he says this, Jesus has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Again, let me ask you this question. Do you understand that you have been delivered? Again, not like delivered like UPS, uh, Amazon Prime, two-day shipping, but you have been delivered from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. That you are a brand new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And this is your story if you're in Christ. Are you caught up in the story of God's saving grace, the one who has delivered you, transferred you, that you have redemption and forgiveness of sins? These are the things that should shape us and to make us as we continue through this world. Verses 21 and 22. And you, who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds... He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, the reality is this. We we spend a lot of time to present ourselves as as good-looking as possible. I wore a tie today. And I I wore cool socks. I mean, You probably can't see them. Um, But I work hard to make sure I look good. Um, And I imagine that you do the same but the story of the gospel is that again god the creator of the universe is working right now in this room to present you whole and blameless before that he is what he is doing right now through your life through your job through your community here at city church uh, is that he is making you into what he's already declared you to be and one day he will present you as whole and blameless and that is good And the key part of the story is that he works us through his reconciliation, verse 20, by making peace through the blood that was shed on the cross. See, death brought peace. Death, his death particularly, was the one that brought peace and reconciliation. And again, notice it wasn't the death of ourselves, nor the death of those we struggle to love, nor the death of creation that fixes things. It is the very creator himself. Again, the one who made all things. The one who is holding all things together. The one who will come back to make all things right is the one who entered in. The one who called him. The one who became a baby. The one who took on flesh. The one who took naps. The one who got hungry. The one who lived a perfect life. A life that we could not have lived, not even on our best day. And the one who died the death that we should have died. Because of that death, we have reconciliation. See, The good news of the gospel is that our God, the God of peace, entered the very chaos of our lives to bring us reconciliation, to bring us healing, to bring us peace, to bring us shalom. And so this morning, let us be reminded that Jesus Christ, Him only, can bring true peace in our lives. Because what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do, There's nothing to add, nothing but a love and response and praise to this Jesus who has done so much for us, that he is the one who has brought peace into this world. And so for us, as we live in this world of chaos, this world of no rest, as we even look into our own hearts and we feel like it's totally knotted up by the things that we have done to ourselves and the things that have been done to us, May we turn our attention to the very person and the Word of Jesus, the one who is supreme, the one who is preeminent. That Jesus would be sufficient for our own prayers, our worship, and our story. And so as we close, let me ask you these questions. Do you see Jesus as supreme? As truly preeminent in your life? Do you rest in the very person and work Jesus. Are you caught up in the story of Jesus? Are you caught up in His story? See, the good news is that Jesus is supreme. That He is preeminent. And this is fundamental to Christianity. Because the reality is this. Think about this. If there is no Jesus, there is no creation. If there's, if there's no Christ, there's no church. If there's no Christ, don't tell the kids this, there's no Christmas there's no Christ, there's no redemption. And if, when and if we forget this, we have no security. But when Christ says first, when He stays first in the very forefront of our minds, we have peace and we have security. We know that we're not alone. We know that we have somebody. And it's not just your spouse or your children or a good friend. You have the very creator of the earth, the one who has entered into your life to be See Christianity, the gospel is is that one thing that, is, that does not center around us. It centers around Jesus. So Christianity is is reminding us that Jesus is supreme. And even here, in a second, as we take the communion, as we take that that meal, the only th- in Psalm thirty four eight says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." The only thing I can imagine where those two things are true at the same time is when I take Him. When I take that bread and that wine and I can be reminded that the Jesus who I worship, the Jesus that I read about, and the Jesus that I pray to, that He is good. And that He is with me and that He is me. So City Churches, today, this is Lord's Day in this Advent season, be reminded. That Jesus is supreme. The same Jesus that has entered in to this world and to, to all of human history. That he comes and seeks you. That he comes and finds you. And then he comes and he says, Come, all who are heavy laden, all of you who have big knots in your souls and your hearts, come, come to me, and I will give you rest. So come to Jesus' Advent season. Be reminded that He is supreme so that you would invite Him into your life to make you new again. Let's pray.